mouths of babes. Uh, uh, Parker's text this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4. If you want to take a minute and turn there with me, I'll be reading verses 10 through the end of the chapter. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragment offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with you, who are, yeah, The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask you, Lord, to open our hearts to receive it. Uh, Use Parker as a special instrument, a mouthpiece for you, Father, that that he would proclaim your word accurately and that uh, he would say just those words you want him to say that you would be glorified, and that we would be strengthened in our faith. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy 6, 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Never in the history of mankind and in the history of any country has its population been blessed with so much as we are. The Lord has blessed us financially, and even when the economy may be a bit on the fritz, the economy is fantastic when compared with economies of this world and of the past. He's blessed us with material possessions, with access to amazing health care, with a government that constantly undergoes peaceful transitions. These systems aren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but the reality is that we are blessed. By any measure, we are blessed. Of course, these material possessions, they pale in comparison to the blessing that we have in Christ, that we have salvation, that our Savior would lay down his life for us, and that we would be called the children of God. We would have the promise of eternal life that begins here on earth and continues in heaven to come. But the reality is that we are largely a discontent people. Do you struggle with discontentment like I do? 
It is quite a gift, quite a great gain, as First Timothy tells us, godliness with contentment. It is something to be pursued, it's something to be prayed for. Unless we pursue it intentionally, I think it will constantly uh, slip us in our grip. As we look at the Philippian letter, the letter to the Philippians that Paul wrote, Paul says that he has learned two things, that he has learned that he is to be content, and he's also learned the secret of how to be content. Two things we'll look at this morning. But isn't it amazing that Paul says he's content? Do you remember where Paul is? He's in a Roman prison, awaiting the verdict. If it is guilty, then he will die, a very painful death most likely. And if he is innocent, then he'll be free. We know from tradition that Paul was eventually uh, martyred by the emperor Nero later. We think he was released here, but he was content to be there in the Roman prison. I think that that sort of contentment is one that eludes our fleshly minds. How in the world could Paul be content, be satisfied in such a situation? Paul helps us this morning in our text. The Lord, this is his word. Um, We see these two ingredients, these two keys to contentment in our lives. And the first is a thankful heart is actively giving thanks to God every day of our lives, and the second is living in utter dependence upon him. These seem to be the two key ingredients to contentedness. The Lord calls us to contentment. To be content means to be satisfied. Like after a good meal, we aren't looking for more We are content with what the Lord has given us. Now, this doesn't mean that we're satisfied with the situation. Our Lord Jesus mourned. Our Lord Jesus was uh, righteously angry at times. Our Lord was tired at times. To be content is not so much to rejoice in the situation, to be satisfied in the situation, but it is to be satisfied in the Lord who has put us there. I think that we can be content and still seek to um, better our situation, to get out of a trial. The Lord does not delight in our suffering, but he does call us to delight in him in the midst of suffering. I read in one commentary this week that oftentimes it is harder to be content in the good times than it is the bad. And to put it like this, that it's harder to run with a full glass than it is with a a half-empty one. The reality is whether uh, we find ourselves in good times or bad, the the Lord calls us to contentment. Contentment is something that's a lot like joy and happiness. You know, happiness is tied to the situation where joy is much greater. It it is uh, divorced from the situation. It supersedes, goes beyond, looks above, looks to the God of our situation. So too, contentment can be found in the Lord wherever the Lord has us. June 6, 1944 was known as D-Day, the day in which the Allies invaded Germany, or invaded, excuse me, France uh, and Normandy. It was the beginning of the end for the Germans. And on this day, you saw all across the beaches of Omaha, Juneau, Sword, the others, Utah, you saw men strewn about, dead and dying, hiding behind uh, obstacles, concrete, trying to dig their way into the sand. 
But do you know what you also saw on those beaches? You also saw many of their leaders and at least one brigadier general that we know of walking to and fro amidst all of the gunfire, encouraging his boys up and over the beaches. So he could see what was beyond. He could see what victory, that the victory was in their grasp. He was content with whatever may come. Now, did he enjoy the gunfire? No, but he was satisfied in the situation. What are our lives like? Are are we content? As we enter in this week of Thanksgiving, it is a a, a great time to uh, take stock of what measure, what level of contentment we have in our lives. Verses 11 and 12, not that I'm speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. The Philippians had sent Epaphroditus with a financial gift to Paul in prison. They had been concerned for him in the past. And when they heard that he was in prison, their concern grew. Something apparently kept them from immediately sending Epaphroditus with the money. But now... He has come and he has brought to Paul not only financial provision, but he has come himself to help. There there are two things we learn in this passage that, that Paul says he has learned that he is to be content and he has learned how to be content, the secret, the mystery of it. I think something that we might yearn to know. How have you done it, Paul? Especially being in a Roman prison. The first word that is used for learn in the Greek um, is, a, is an important word where we learn that he has learned in whatever uh, situation I am to be content. This word is not a, a learning, a book learning kind of word. It's not that I read about it this morning and now I know that I'm supposed to be content. It is a learning that comes through experience. It's a learning that he had come to know over many years of ministry. But you know, the, the Lord's gonna bring you times of plenty and the times of want, the times of fullness, and the times of emptiness, the times of joy, or happiness rather, and the times of mourning. But Paul has seen it all by this point in his ministry, and he's finally come to the realization that whatever comes, he's supposed to be content. I think we pay lip service to that perhaps in the Sunday school answer, if another believer asks us, do you know you're supposed to be content? Well, of course I do. But but do we really know that? Have we really come to grasp with that concept that that wherever the Lord has us, we are to be content? Perhaps not rejoicing in what the Lord has brought us, but rejoicing in the Lord of what he has brought us. Being satisfied in him, looking to him, finding our joy in him in spite of whatever the Lord has, either in good times or bad. think about our Savior. Um, here's one who has never, never sinned. He perfectly upheld the law in every situation, which means he was perfectly content all his life. But have you ever thought about our Lord as one who was content? Think about all the things that our Lord went through. In the midst of losing his friends, in the midst of being un- uh, excuse me, righteously angry in the temple, in the midst of being tired and worn out, 
he was completely satisfied with the Lord, with his father, our father. He had a a deep abiding trust, a a key ingredient for um, contentment. He had a deep abiding trust that his father was good and powerful and he really did have a, a good plan for him and for his people. But do you know what this good plan included? It included the cross. Even in this, even in knowing that he was heading to the cross, our Savior was content. Not in the situation. He didn't rejoice, except despising the shame for the joy set before him, Hebrews tells us. He was satisfied in the Lord. He didn't struggle with fear, perhaps one of the greatest enemies of contentment. Fear will will rob us of contentment. As we struggle with believing that the Lord will provide for us or give us strength to get through whatever he's brought us to, perhaps even the week of Thanksgiving. Let's not pretend like Thanksgiving isn't a hard time for many of us. Perhaps with loneliness and lost loved ones or children who aren't able to come. Christ didn't have unrealistic expectations. I feel like this one, especially my, amongst my generation, is a great enemy of, of contentment that we expect to have it all. Even at the beginning of our careers. We expect what our parents had after working for 40, 50 years. We want what they have now, but we just want it sooner. I think we're often robbed of contentment because we want heaven now. You know, God wants us to experience heaven, and we will experience heaven. And his kingdom is crashing in into this world now, and we have bits and pieces of it now, but heaven is yet to come. And until then, we leave lives that are full of trouble. All the while, we have a king who sees us through all of it. Paul certainly had known great deprivations, as we see in his list here in this text, of of abounding and having plenty of being in want, having needs, being hungry. But we we don't see Paul grumbling. I'm sure he did. He was a sinner just like we are. We we think of the Israelites in the the wilderness. Here are God's people and they have everything they need. In fact, they have the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. They always know that God is with them. And what do they do? They complain, they complain, they complain, they complain. There is the evidence of God's presence with you. And yet they always forgot of God's goodness and his love. They uses his power to bless his people. And so they grumbled. And God says, you know, you're not grumbling just against Moses and Aaron or the water not being when you want it or, or this manna which apparently tastes the same every day and now you won't meet. You're not grumbling against those things. You're grumbling against me, thus said the Lord. It robs us of contentment. Well, please, Paul, tell us the secret of contentment. Because I struggle. Do you struggle? The Christmas season, you know, the, the, the modern version of it, the commercialized version of it, it is, is geared to make us discontent. This is what fuels our economy, right? You go to Toys R Us, you go to Walmart, you walk the aisles, and I didn't even know I needed that. I sure am glad Walmart's here. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, this is how we work with our children. We model it well for them, don't we? Christy asked me last night what she, what I wanted her to get me for Christmas. And, you know, it wasn't so much I couldn't think of anything. It's I just couldn't think of which one. We're discontent. Are we satisfied in the Lord? The answer is most likely no. Most of the time, the secret of contentment, Paul says, I think it's twofold. Thankfulness and radical dependence on the Lord. I remember some of the most joyful people I've ever met were in Kenya. I think I've shown you a picture of these folks a couple years ago, perhaps. And, uh, they had run-down furniture. They didn't have glass in their windows. They ha- counted themselves blessed because they had two cows instead of one. And, you know, they gave us their supper, which means they didn't eat. They were joyful. They were satisfied in the Lord, even though they had nothing materialistically to be satisfied with. Lord, give me that faith. Give me that kind of contentment. I think as we think about these these two ingredients of contentment, of thankfulness and um, uh, dependence on the Lord, we first have to start with time. The reality is that it takes time, doesn't it, to learn contentment in the Lord. When you're young, everything's a big deal. I'm still in that phase. Everything's a catastrophe. Everything's a tragedy. But as you grow older and you see the Lord gets you through every one of those situations, your faith grows as you reflect in thankfulness over what he has done for you. I love Psalm 68, 19. I found it this week. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Blessed be the Lord who daily, daily, daily bears us up. God is our salvation Not anything else. Not what we put our hopes in. There's not a day where he doesn't bear us up. Blessed be the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. This is he who provides. And he has sent his son to die for us. So so how do we foster more thankfulness? How do we foster more contentedness in our lives? We start by being thankful. Verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. This word rejoice is from the same root word as to be thankful. When we rejoice, we're expressing verbally, perhaps in our minds, thankfulness for who the Lord is and what he's done for us. We rejoice in who he is and what he has done for us. Paul is giving thanks, first of all, for the provision that God has given him. Let's not be more pious than Paul or Jesus and and forget that when, when the Lord gives us something materially, we are to be thankful for it. Don't pretend like it's not a blessing. Say, thank you, Jesus, for giving me a car, a home, possessions, whatever it is. That is a direct um, application of God's love and his fatherly care of you. He rejoices at the money that Epaphroditus has brought to him. But he does more than that, doesn't he? He he is thankful for the Philippian people, not just for their stuff, but for their for the church, for the people, for Epaphroditus who has come. In fact, it seems clear from this text, he, he he's thankful for the gift, but he's more thankful for the people. And we all, as we come to this Thanksgiving season, we all have plenty of people to be thankful for. We have brothers and sisters in Christ in this very room who would come to us in the middle of the night if we called them. Do you know how rare that is today? Do you know how rare it is to have people who love you and are committed to you? 
We have neighbors, we have friends, we have family, we have kids, we have grandparents, we have parents, we have brothers and sisters in Christ and physically. The Lord has blessed us so greatly. But even if you've missed out on some of those blessings by death or situation, we all have the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Blessed be my Lord. Blessed be your Lord, the God and Father of us all. Man, Paul is thankful ultimately to the Lord, isn't he? I rejoice greatly in the Lord. That's the key text right there. He blessed, he, he rejoiced greatly in the Lord. Everything that he has, everything that we have, comes straight from the Lord Jesus, okay? James chapter 1 tells us, Do not be deceived, beloved brethren. Do not be deceived. This is telling us that there are lots of reasons why we often are deceived that we have anything that is to our praise or anything that doesn't come from the Lord. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. For every good and every perfect gift is from above, is from the Father. As we, as we think this week about Thanksgiving, let's be thankful and let's list specifically all the wonderful material possessions he's given us, all right? Physically, take out a piece of paper, start writing it, or go around the Thanksgiving table. Thank the Lord for the relationships through whom God has blessed us, but thank the Lord ultimately and only for Jesus. I, I saw a house that was controlled, burned by the fire department here recently down in the bottom it was an amazing sight. I've never been this close to that kind of fire. And you know, it struck me as I was standing there that how awful it would be to be in that fire for a minute, which would send me to D.W. McMillan. How awful would it be to be in that fire for an hour, which would send me into the ground. But how I deserved to be in that fire for all of eternity in hell. And praise be the Lord. That our Savior Jesus has taken the wrath and fury of his Father on the cross for me and for you. We have nothing else we thankful for. We have Jesus. But time and thankfulness and the third component of being thankful, of living a contented life, is radical dependence on the Lord. When we come to, our, to the ends of ourselves in good times and bad, and we finally see that the only place where we can find strength, the only place that we can find refuge, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. Not me, not you. Blessed be the Lord who barely bears us up. God is our salvation. When we come to that place and we can say with Paul, I can do anything. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength who strengthens me, who gives me power, not as I rely on myself, but on Jesus. Here's the thing, the word sufficiency, excuse me, the word contentedness in Greek means to be self-sufficient. It means I don't need anything else. But here's the thing, Paul is not saying that his sufficiency is in himself. He finds the most self-sufficiency when he realizes he has no sufficiency, and his sufficiency is in Christ. This week, as we come to a week of Thanksgiving, let's, let's... Let's actually enter into the week of Thanksgiving. Many of us are traveling. All of us are going to be eating. But let's enter into a real time of thankfulness, being intentional and thanking the Lord for all he has done for us and all that he's given. I think that we ought to look forward to the day 
where we are with the Lord at the true Thanksgiving meal, right? At the wedding feast of the Lamb, when all these shadows which are changing these days, when they, all these shadows flee away, we finally see our Savior face to face and we can truly say, thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that we have in Christ. We thank you for our relationship with you. We thank you that you've blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. We thank you that you've made us alive, we who were dead. We thank you for making us yours. Father, make us more thankful that we might rejoice more greatly in the Lord. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.